Hey, everybody, before we move on to our next topic, I do want to let you know about Anchor because Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place for free, just like this show, which you can use right from your phone or computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great, just like this one. And they'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere podcasts are heard, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You can easily make money from your podcast too with no minimum listenership. Get started today by downloading downloading the Anchor app, or you can go to anchor.fm. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Today, we fan the flames of rebellion, space aliens, flying dragon-like creatures, air-sick podlings, trial by air that we never get to see, treachery at the castle, essence, essence everywhere, and plenty of drops to drink, opera, and much more. The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance after show starts now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Yes. Welcome, mystically, to a very mystical Dark Crystal Age of Resistance after show. On today's show, we will be talking about episodes six and seven, but we'll be having the conversation about the characters throughout both episodes, so we're going to jump back and forth. So if you've only seen six don't watch our whole show until after you see seven. And if you haven't seen either of them, well, then definitely don't watch the show. We're going to give away a lot of things. Hi, I'm Christian Blatt, back for more conversation here on The Dark Crystal. And joining me, as always, at least up until now, <laughs> Rachel Goodman. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Wow, what an episode. Yeah, uh, two episodes. And our, our friend Angelica is not with us today, uh, but uh, she and I will be back. We'll give you the schedule at the end of the episode so that you know when. By then, you, every, everybody should be caught up and you'll be able to watch our last couple episodes live, uh, including Rachel will be able to watch those episodes live. Because this is the last one you'll actually be able to be here for. Yes. Because yeah. you have to go to a strange <laughs> land. Far. You have a perilous journey Far. to somewhere even farther away than Thra, Portland. Portlandia. Portlandia. (laughs) So anyway, uh, I always like to start just big picture. These episodes, your thoughts, six and seven. Well, I mean, I feel like we got a lot more character development and we got, we saw some of the people together. People. I always call them people. I know. Some of the beings. We're not trying to insult them, you know? (laughs) We're like calling them people because they they feel so real to us. Exactly, exactly. And my thing with um, just even like Rianne and Dee, we got to see them together. My dream came true. My shipping dream of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got so close. They got like an inch apart. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, um, you know, just as an Outlander fan, Tavra. Yeah. <laughs> I kept hearing Claire. I'm like, no. Mm, poor Tavra. I know that's why you took it You took it so hard. But yeah. Yeah, these are great. I mean, look, the show is doing a great job building. It definitely started out not even slow in a bad way. It started out slow in a sense of, like, we got to build this world. And then uh, episode to episode, it's building really well. In, the interesting thing about these Netflix shows is that they do sort of feel like you know, old time like serials, I guess radio serials, but also like TV short serials where it's like tune in next week because you know, you literally have like the cliffhanger. The advent we have is like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to watch the next one. Except for you and I, who are breaking it up to do this show, because I I would love to have watched episode eight, but I, I didn't want to get confused because I've done that on shows where I've watched too many ahead and yeah. then I forget. So we're, we've just seen that, but there's so much that I just want to see. I just want to see where it's going, and it's uh, I don't know. It's very exciting, and it's 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 very well paced. 
Uh, some of the action has been great. We talked about that in our previous episode. It's impressive. Look, it's it's the Jim Henson Company. This is what they do. That doesn't mean I'm still not impressed with like just look at how well some of these creatures move, you know, and especially when they're fighting. Like th- that's really hard to make it look convincing when you're you're doing it with puppets. Yeah. And I mean, you and I were talking too about earlier about that the whole like flight showdown that did not oh, happen. Man. I was wondering like when they when this was going to happen, just how they were gonna like you know get this done and like how it was gonna I, look. I really wanted to see what that was. I yeah. wondered what kind of you know what sort of things that you have to do, and then uh, basically what happened was like a scroll was handed to Celadon. It was like by the decree of Lord of Budget, we will not be having this because we you know I, I just forfeit. It yeah, I forfeit because it's too expensive, and we've already we've already spent all of our money on on the uh, the the uh, pod. Uh, craft service budget, so we don't have any money left. But uh, yeah, I, 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 it's not like a huge disappointment. It doesn't make me like the show less. I just really wanted to see that, unless it's foreshadowing because there will be a showdown. But yeah, it's that's like the you know what? That's a good showdown. point. Yeah. That if we get if we get it later, that'll be fine. That'll make All up right. for not having. It <laughs> All right, you've you've uh, made me feel a little bit better about it. And look, there's another major thing, and we're gonna break. We're gonna go through character by character. But there's something really important. There's an uprising amongst the castle guard, and they set us up for like, oh my god, we're gonna take on the Skeksis, and. It all happens off camera, which I think is probably better because I don't know that I need to see the Great Gelfling Massacre of 2019. You <laughs> Sorry, know? it just sounds funny when you say well, That's why I put it that way. I thought it would sound funnier. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need to see that, you know? And, and we just cue to, like, I, I, them drinking up their essence. Yeah, and just, like, lapping it up like a bunch of, like, hangry... Uh, well, hangry. I was going to say hungry, but also hangry, hangry cats. Like, And they're just like, oh, my God, the essence is so delicious. And I thought that the way that they told that where Chamberlain comes back is like, it's such a mess. What does everyone do? Essence. And he's like, where's my essence? And they're like, oh, it's Chamberlain. You missed everything. By the way, where's that uh, Gelfling that you went out to get? Oh, you don't have him? Yeah, you're lucky that uh, we're not going to drink your essence. And just treating him like he's a joke and that nothing that he's doing will matter. Yeah, because he's like, I bring an important message. And they're like, oh, okay. And they just literally just laugh at him. (laughs) They laugh at him now. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, All right, so uh, let's start off talking about Brea because when episode six begins, Brea and, of course, uh, Noble... Valiant Hup have uh, also been uh, taken away. We see them uh, herded off, basically, because Celadon's like, yeah, just just take him. You know, so she's literally like, yeah, go ahead and take my sister and that funny looking... Well, yeah, so... Wait, so is Brea... Who else gets taken away? It's everybody gets taken away by the uh, by by the Skeksis, right? Yeah. So, so obviously, Rian's not with them. Rian's not with them, but Deet is also with them. That's Deet, why Hup is there. Deet, Hup, yeah. Brea... Yeah. So uh, yeah, and Rion's sort of watching it, and that's basically how it starts. And the the thing that I said, I wonder if this will happen. I said it in our, our previous episode that I wonder if Brea is able to like faintly say like, "Laura, I need your help." But he, you know what? She, she didn't, didn't even have, have to, to do yeah. that. Laura's like, "I'm such a good protector. I know you need my help." So uh, that to me was like, "Well, I think I see an easy way out for that." And that's kind of what I alluded to before, Rachel was. That that's how it kind of feels very serialized. It's like you put them in this precarious circumstance, and that's why it has that old time feel of like, okay, we have to resolve that pretty quickly in the first few minutes, and then we can we can go on. But uh, 
talk a little bit about, yes, that sequence of the fact that Lore basically, you know, single-handedly rescues them. Not that everybody else doesn't help Rion and such, but just the idea of the way the episodes kind of start where they're like immediately continuing the action from the previous one. So I, I, I kind of, I love how they do this. I love how they kind of start and we're already worrying for the characters because of the cliffhanger we were left on in the last episode. But it's just a testament to Rian that he wants to stand up for what's happening yeah. and wants to help Deet and Hup and Brea. Um, I'm just glad that they got out and that it wasn't, you know, they didn't take them back. Um, and I felt like that was, it made sense. It feel it felt right and it felt like it fit the plot line and the journey that Agra said that they needed to go on together. Yeah. And, you know, that sequence, one of the things that I was reminded of, and I'd seen this in previous episodes, I meant to talk about it here, is that during the action sequences, you get that that feature that you would see a lot if you were filming something, you know, realistically, where like dirt gets kicked up and it's like on the lens and stuff like that. And it's weird because that should take you out of it, but it makes it feel more real. Yeah. You know, because it's like, well, yeah, that's dirt that got kicked up. And it's it's another testament to just doing things practically. And yes, of course, there's some CGI. But if you were creating the entire landscape and all the character CGI, you would never get dirt on the lens of your camera. So I don't know. I just it's such a little thing, but it just it just helps me feel uh, that much more involved in what's going on. I don't know if you're finding any touches like that, Rachel. I'm enjoying the CGI definitely. Yeah. Um, I feel like it does it it the just everything like aesthetically is very yeah. very like beautiful the way that they've done this. And I personally, it doesn't take me out. I notice it. Yeah. But, and I notice that it kind of, you know, it's not 100% like what we would have seen in 82, but that's okay. I feel like that is a very good thing. Like, it should have evolved. Yeah. <laughs> but at the I same mean, time, I still feel like we're we're still watching the same, sh- we're still watching the same, like, you know, ca- not the same characters, but like the same world. Yeah, and I mean, in, in the 1982 movie, you'll, you'll see what was much more common was you would have what they call matte paintings, and it's just beautiful, like, landscape, and then you sort of have some lights flickering, so it kind of gives the illusion that there's movement, you know? It's something that you would see a lot on the TV version of Star Trek Next Generation. They go down to the planet, and there's, like, people moving in this one corner, but everything behind them was actually a giant painting, just because it's like, yeah, we're, we can't. But so now you can do that with CGI, with CGI so yeah. I think... It adds. It, it, I don't know. It just helps include you in this. In this, I was going to say universe, but very specifically in this world in Thra more so than the movie did. Uh, so let's talk about Brea. Obviously, is when we see her at the beginning of, of episode six, she doesn't have time to process what's just happened. You know, there's. It's basically like after the rescue when she finally is just like just trying to come to terms with the fact that her mother died, but also that her sister's like, you know, this this is your fault. And there's those two things. And then also the feeling that I should go back because I have to I have to bury her. I have to like bring her back to Thraw. Talk a little bit about how well they're able to convey you know, Brea catches her breath and then it's just like, oh my God, all these terrible things just happened. We needed that moment. Yeah. We needed that reaction to everything, not just for Brea, but also Rian. And I loved the moment when they were all in the circle singing. Um, and I actually loved that song too. 
um, that they oh, were. Oh, yeah, when the, the one, yeah, that, uh, that. Speak for the Dead, I believe yeah. it's called, um, when I Shazammed it. But it was, it was just a very nice touch. Wait, so you were able to Shazam the song that they all sang, like, as they were, like, you know, camping for the night, waiting for the, yes. to go to the desert? Yes, and it came up. I, you know, for a show that was just posted you know, this, <laughs> this morning, in all honesty, yeah, I, I look, I know Shazam is good. I'm they probably, that, but... I would guess that Spotify had the music up already. That would be my guess. Yeah, okay, that makes. Yeah. But still, that's so impressive so, yeah. that you're able to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and obviously that song is a, ends up being like a major uh, plot yeah. point that helps them uh, across the the Crystal Desert. Uh, yeah, and I think that. The nice thing, it's it's a great character moment because obviously all of these characters have experienced varying degrees of loss. I mean, Brea, Rian, most recently with the loss of a parent, you know, within the previous two episodes. And not even, so Rian, like, we don't know exactly how long it's been since the beginning of the series. Presumably, you know, within a week. Yeah, Mira, Mira <laughs> died within the last week, I think. Yeah, that, yeah. So or, or one fiftieth of a trine. Right, you know, yeah. So. so he's gone through yeah. to lose, I mean, obviously, it's hard enough to lose your parent, but to lose someone who is your partner and the love of your life, right. I feel and like that's you, even harder because that's your person who you're with every day. And in the case of uh, both of those deaths for Rian and also the the one in particular for Brea, you saw them die brutally. Yeah. All three of those characters. So it's not just, oh, it was their time and they passed on, which of course is very upsetting. But you just yeah. watched them like brutally killed. So yeah, I think that that is just some great character building, character defining. I really liked the interaction between uh, Brea and Deet, you know, Deet, who, of course, was disparaged repeatedly in the earlier episodes for, you know, having dirty hands and just being the, the color she is and, and all of that. And just she's that's what I love about Deet and still Team Deet forever, because she's just like there's no hesitation in her mind. It's like they're friends now because mm-hmm. they've been through this. And it's like, no, we should do some, we should do something to honor your mother. And that's what friends do. And Bray is like, you are a good friend. And I, I just, it, it, I just thought that uh, that was such a, it was a great moment that they were able to share that. And that's one of the things I really love about this is that in most television shows or movies, when they're, when they're showing something realistic, you don't get these pure friendships. Right. I mean, you get really deep friendships, don't get me wrong, but you don't get, like, instant, pure friendship, like, without, like, usually you have the characters kind of holding back and they don't want to get close yeah. to each other because they've been through hell. But in this case, it's just like, you have Brea and Deet, and Deet is just instantly there for her, and Brea just instantly accepts Deet as her friend. And they call the whole group seems to instantly accept each other too, and that that was the beautiful thing is that in this world of darkness, they have this pure friendship that's full of light. Yeah, and I think that obviously the Gelfling are able to have a very close bond because one, they're able to to dream share, and then also when the fact that they now have been in dream space together, it, I think that it's. It's not a leap. Like sometimes story-wise you're like, wait, they're best friends now? <laughs> but you just – you feel like these characters definitely are that close because they've been through some extraordinary circumstances. They know that they need to get together for one unified cause. So I, I think that it's great because it, it also – it's like, well, now we're better friends with all of them too. You yeah, know? yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that we – we get to see a, a lot of that, which I think is good. And then obviously, I believe sort of 
the way that episode seven ends for Brea is that uh, she ends up being the one taken by the hunter, right? So we're kind yeah. of skipping a whole big chunk of story, but that's that. But so that I think that dynamic is going to be very interesting in the episodes ahead because you have you have Celadon who is now the Almadra by decree of one decree of herself, but the fact that the Skeksis said she was Almadra. Kind of does like the law of the land. Kind of does make that true. I kind of see her point there, even if I even if I don't support her mission. Yeah. And not to jump ahead, but yeah. the problem is that the Skeksis have a way now of controlling the Geffling who yeah. will support the Geffling cause yeah. against the Skeksis. So no, that's, that's true. the problem. But so, but that is how her sister Tavra f- figures into it. So I think that. There will clearly be some incredibly profound meeting amongst the three of them. They, you know, they'll obviously be brought together again in a in a very defining moment. And I think Celadon's allegiance to the Skeksis is going to be challenged by the fact that you know her sister is a prisoner, and then her other sister has basically like been brainwashed or possessed by them. You know, I think the Celadon we're seeing now won't care. Yes, but I don't think that's who we're going to have. I think that, you know, she's very she, – she's like, this is the way things are. This is the way things need to be. But just – she was able to see her mom as a traitor. But then she's like, wait, look what they're doing to my sisters. I know my sisters are good. You know, so I think that that's some of – that that bond I think is very rich. And uh, I hope we have all three sisters around long enough to see, which I, I suspect we will. Yeah, I do too. I don't think that – I think that we're going to have that moment yeah. where all of them have a confrontation. And, yeah. Um, no. I just don't know about Celadon because I feel like she had a moment where she could have redeemed herself. Several, by the way. Yeah, there yeah. Were, there, because there were uh, in the previous episode and then throughout both of these episodes when yeah. she's meeting with all the other Madras, the fact that – you know, there, there are several different times where she could have been like, all right, let me at least – entertain what you're saying yeah and let's talk about it but i feel like that the cloak of darkness and like that new outfit she has going on i feel like that was like representative of there's no like this there's no going back like she is past go like she is done all i'll say about that outfit is that it's good that celadon never wore that on a red carpet when joan rivers was still doing fashion police because (laughs) uh, she put that together herself and it shows girl it uh it does not work for her uh the the new crown the the skexies crown yeah it looked like uh, maleficent like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a I'm great like, comparison, huh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, we'll talk more about Bray as we go through all, all of our characters. Uh, I think that these are these are very important times, these these two episodes. These are very important for Rion because, I mean, by the end of it, he's basically like... Like, we, kind of, we always knew because he was the one who had that very important, very dangerous weapon knowledge. He's always somebody that we knew was going to be this important but by the end of episode seven he's like yep i gotta i gotta i gotta save thrall by myself no you know he's got his friends but he's like it's on me i i have to be the one to do this and what do you think about rion's journey throughout the course of these two episodes i mean he did just lose his father we do have that that morning but he has to you know before he can get to that he has to help he has to help Lore. He has to help a giant rock monster. That's for you, Angelica. The big <laughs> rock monster. He has to help rescue his friends. So he doesn't have time at first. So uh, talk a little bit about sort of the emotions that Rion must be dealing with throughout all this. Well, 
I feel like he didn't really have much of a chance to process everything that he'd been right. through until the ceremony. But then, more importantly, when they got to um, the um, Crystal of the Suns. Right. Yeah, when they got there... They finally had a chance to actually, I don't know, not that they were really sleeping, because the only one who really seemed to go to sleep was Brea, but yeah. Rian yeah, and Yeah, she Deet, can sleep anywhere. <laughs> yeah, Rian and Deet, who obviously shared a moment. Um, oh, that, I know they yeah, did. they had that moment. You know who else noticed? Hop. Yeah, poor oh, Hop. He just loves her so much. And she's like, yeah, but look at Rion, you know? <laughs> and Hop's like, well, I'm a podling, but look, check me out. I'm I'm a spoon warrior. <laughs> be saying, Hop need die. <laughs> yeah, oh, my gosh. Poor Hop. Poor Hop. Yeah. Air so, sickness. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, that that was very funny. That That's the beginning of episode seven is that just uh, Hop is throwing up. And I believe the line is something along the lines of, uh, how can so much come out of a podling so small? And any of you in the audience who have raised a child or even really watched a child taking care of a child, you're just like, oh yeah, no, there's there's always more than you think that there is. It's like, <laughs> still? But, uh, and, and that's probably why I, I love uh, Hop so much because he's like a little baby man, you know, and he's he's just the best. <laughs> I love Hop. Baby you know? man with a spoon. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. <laughs> So uh, Rion has to to deal with all of this, and he's got the weight of Thra on his shoulders. But as we just referenced, he's got time to uh, you know sit down with Deed and be like, well, "I kind of like that dress." You know, she's very embarrassed about <laughs> the way she looks and how she dresses. You know, she's been made to feel very self conscious. You know, Deed in the first couple episodes didn't think there was anything wrong with anything she said or did, but then she's like, "Oh, everybody hates me," you know, because of what I look like. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think that it had been building for a while with uh, Rion and Deet. But the real question for you, Rachel, are you disappointed that uh, <laughs> they didn't get to lean in for that for that big kiss? I'm gl- I wouldn't have been upset if it had happened, yeah. but I also wanted it to wait because if it literally has been only a week since yeah. Mira died, I'm kind of like, okay, really? Yeah. Like, give it and, some time. And she dude. may not be dead. Yeah. And she, she might may still be trapped <laughs> in the crystal. <laughs> exactly. But they got so close. Do you feel like, do you feel like we got Fitzsimmons? No. Okay. Still <laughs> Never. not that bad. Yeah. Never. I always try to compare it. For those that <laughs> don't know, those are characters from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They're my one right. true pair. All right. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to see the level of, of that. You know? Okay. If we're like comparing it to Fitzsimmons, I would say like 30, 40% of my Fitzsimmons level. That's, that's something. That's huge. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm glad that we have that there. So, uh, yeah. And so what... Is there anything else that stands out about really either Rion or Deet? I mean, they're very much connected throughout these two episodes. I mean, there's stories from the point that everybody gets rescued, you know, and really Bray as well. They're all together, really, throughout the course of these these episodes. So I, I feel like I might be missing something. So is there anything that you feel like we should throw in about Rion or Deet? Obviously, separate from the the big origin story and all of that, or is there something else that uh, comes to mind for I, you? I mean, I feel like really the biggest arc was for Brianne, and we touched on her yeah. after you know dealing with the passing of her mother. I feel like with Rian and Deet, especially Rian, like we had a lot with him at first because he was he had just gone through yeah so many things. Now I feel like he's more processing, and so we didn't get we we saw him a lot on screen, but we sure. didn't get as much. Um, because it's still kind of just, um, yeah, he's kind of just processing. And, like, I feel like, too, a lot of it was taken, like, overshadowed by this presentation that we were given once they got to the Crystals of the Sun. 
Yeah, so uh, we touched on Celadon a little bit, but, and, you know, she's a character where up till now she was really tied into Brea. Like her stories were kind of footnotes to stuff that was happening to Brea. But the fact that she's been declared all Madra, and uh, obviously this is what her life's been all about. I mean, sort of think about it from, give us your thoughts as to Celadon's approach to the way these events have unfolded and where she is, just her frame of mind in episode six and seven yeah um i just want to say too it's the circle of the suns i've been oh, saying that wrong so yeah i forgive me for anyone who was listening before that and heard yes thing. because they definitely yeah. uh, i know in thra they definitely have youtube and they're uh, yeah. i know that there's there's a lot of after buzz <laughs> tv shows that they like in thra so yeah. thank you I'm yeah glad you're so in clarified. case yeah in any case anyone caught that but in terms of celadon yeah um so this is my problem with and we were talking about this too sure, yeah. for the show I don't know why she became this angry and dark so fast. Now, my problem, my big problem with her is that, okay, we've seen this hundreds of times where there's a sibling who ends up going down the dark path. But the reason why Celadon isn't quite working for me in terms of what she's doing now and her arc is because I don't know what she needed beyond a shadow of a doubt, what she loved, what she couldn't live without. And yes, granted, she wanted to be all Madra. She wanted her mother's approval. But what she's doing now, um, like I guess breaking from her mother's approval was like the big like twist and like, you know, how right. she changed. But it went from, okay, these people are heretics to now she's being really dark she like you know she sent madra farah into the air like she's just doing things that i would not have seen her doing because she didn't seem like a dark person right and i think that what it is is so just imagine if you think about sort of what you're talking about with with siblings just imagine if you're cinderella but you're always told that like yeah you're gonna have to put up with all this stuff but you know you are going to be the queen one day. So you just you just put up with it. You'll be fine. And then so you put up with all what you feel like are all these slights. I mean, she just talks about the fact that her mother never saw her and that I think really is the main reason why she like lashed out and was like, "Yeah, we're going to have to go ahead and kill my mom because she <laughs> didn't pay attention to me," which I'm like, "Whoa." Yeah. All right, that's that that took a little bit, not a little bit. That took the darkest of turns. And I think that just the idea that this is what her whole life has been, that anyone would challenge the idea that she shouldn't have it. Uh, I do think the transformation, physical uh, uh, physical and, of course, uh, emotionally, is very surprising that it happens. But I think she just needs to reach that point. You know, When you and I were talking beforehand, I was saying that sort of her appearance, you would see if it's like, oh, the... You know, she was well. Actually, if she was like part of like an an ascension or something like that, where somehow she was like possessed or you know part of something, which she wasn't. Yeah. But it would make more sense. It's like, oh, she just she just like I don't know. Maybe she heard like a Marilyn Manson CD and she's like, <laughs> I'm going all goth now. Like she she turned into the dark side. Or and I mean I get it. Like she killed her mother, and the yeah. whole thing is about. Well, she got her, somebody else to she, kill her mother, got, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's fair. But, yeah, but she. I mean, she indirectly killed her yeah. mother, and corruption. The whole theme: corruption breeds corruption. Yeah. So now she's even worse than she was before. I get that. I just needed something a little more to bring her to any of this. Yeah. Something that really, like, even if even if it was something that we wouldn't understand per se, because her psyche is a little skewed. I wanted something to see her break. 
something yeah. that really would break her. And yeah. I didn't feel like we got enough. I think if we had gotten sort of the, the challenge that she had to go through, I think it would have made sense. Yeah. And I think if she had lost the challenge and been like, uh, yeah, I'm the Almadra anyway, and because the Skeksis said so, I think that that would have actually worked a little bit better for me. Yeah. And like with Madra Farah, she kept, she even called her a childling. I think yeah. if they had had this battle... And that Madra, if Madra Farah had been disrespecting her and just treating her like a little child yeah. and like hurt her enough, I feel like we definitely, like it would have just, yeah. I could have seen that break. Yeah. Like, nope, you're not doing it, this to me anymore. My mother did this to me my whole life and I'm done. Yeah, we would have been able to sort of, I think it would have been a little bit easier to embrace. I mean, as it is, it, it is very interesting, you know, yeah. the fact. So we have two Madras that are opposed to to Celadon being the Almadra. Uh, so, and they're the two that makes the most sense for the Gelflings that we know. And then the other one seemed to be a little bit more like, you know, don't rock the boat. And, uh, there was the, uh, I'm getting the, the names confused. Cause there's the one that just, just sent the little piece of the, the throne back, uh, the little bit of the crown back because as expected, they're not here is what she said. And I, I believe that those are the ones that we meet in the next episode that, because they're the ones who worship death. But uh, I'm uh, sorry. It, it's a lot to take in. And I did just watch these this morning. But uh, the, the Ducins. Yes. Yeah. And Rikia. So, and, and I think that, yeah, that's the character we meet. So I think they're the one. There's not one of those there, right? They're the ones that don't send a representative to the Almadra, right? I thought there was a deuce in there. Right. Because so there is one that didn't show. And maybe it's one we haven't met yet. And that's why they haven't shown up yet. I think that that, that was actually my question. I'm like, okay, so we do. All right. But as it is. We have the three that are there are like, yeah, yeah, we're going to bow down to you because we're not going to rock the boat. And you could kind of get the feeling that there would be the very defiant, the question authority level of Galflings. And then there's the literally don't rock the boat, just go with the flow. And uh, I think that no matter who Celadon was, no matter what she was doing, just like, well, she's supposed to be the Almadra, so we're going to, you know, we're going to just go ahead and bow down to her. Yeah. I feel like those are those three. So the tough Galfling, though, do not accept her authority. It was the Stonewood withhold. Yes. The Drenchen withhold. Yes. Those are, and those are, uh, those are two At of first, our, yeah, yeah, those are two of our, our most prevalent Galfling in, in the course of the, the story uh, that we've had so far. So I, I, uh, I think that we understand why Celadon is just so she well hell bent really it's just like no she's just she's just this is the authority this is what we do we don't break the rules and whereas both of her sisters were not brought up that way i mean they were brought up by the same woman but whatever it is and you have to wonder as brea talks about how every time she did something her mother always said i love you let's wash your hair you know and I did she not say it to Celadon? I, I mean, it's like I don't want it to be too much of a trifle, but is it that simple? Is it just like no? I, I have to toughen her up. I'm not going to say it to her. I mean, I felt like she was pretty tough on all of them. Yeah, but but I feel like she was like, especially if we go back to the first episodes of the season or of the series. Yeah, she was. I thought especially tough on Brea. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, that's a good point. But I guess. Getting that insight from Brea that, like, you know, how she was sweet yeah. to her at times, and maybe it's just when she was younger. Many trying to go, as it were. But I, I think that clearly whatever it is that Brea got from her mother, despite how tough she was, Celadon didn't really get that. And I think Tavra must have gotten it to some extent because 
they seem to have way less complicated mommy issues than uh, Celadon did. So, yeah. uh, well, the big revelation in episode seven is sort of it fills in so many blanks, and I do love. Uh, well, I love that whole sequence of you know how they basically get to the circle of suns and that's that is where uh they have met the the uh rakia uh, rakia rakia yeah so you've got it yeah and you know they they heard their song that's what we referenced earlier that they heard the song it was carried to them on the desert winds and these losses were very deep to you so this and the rumor that rian has heard about them is that you know the Skeksis tell us they worship death, and it's not that they worship death; they just seem to have a respect for people who have died, and they sort of view it as as something completely different. Um, and I think that that was it was just as a concept. I'm like, well, that's just kind of interesting. Yeah. And which uh, which uh, tribe is that? I, uh, which, they were the Dusin. They had the Dusin. Yeah. yeah. I just don't want to call them the wrong thing because again. Shows very big and 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 and, and, thra- and thra. so we don't want to upset. Uh, you know, we don't want to. We don't want anyone to to think we're talking uh, about Vapro when we're talking about Dusen. Dusen, Dusen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought that uh, I liked that interaction. I liked that they showed up, and I liked that. Of course, Dee trusts everybody, but even Brea was like, "Yeah, we'll take a ride on your, <laughs> your magic space dragon." You know? Yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, "What?" It looked like a flying stingray. Yeah, well, you know what it reminded me was uh, was a Treyu from the Neverending Story. I thought I thought of him, but you're right. If you actually look at it and you break it down, it did look like a a, a stingray. So, you, the sequence where we have the origin revealed to us is all very fun because <laughs> we the, the just the fact that it's like we have opera. What's opera? And it go, you can tell it goes on for so long. And what I love about it is when it's over. Is like that was great, and everybody else is like falling asleep. They want to, <laughs> you know, they they just can't believe what they're sitting through. And Deet loves everything. That's why I love Deet. But we are introduced to the heretic, and one of the things we talk about in our special segment is some of the voice casting. But because we're introducing this character, it's worth mentioning that that is Andy Samberg, and Bill Hader is, is his sidekick, his other. Um, half, His other as half, it is. <laughs> yeah, which is which is the big revelation that that we get is Ergo is the other half, so that's Bill yeah. Hader, yeah, and it's it, they have a great, well, obviously the two of them were together in Saturday Night Live together, but the their sort of their their timing is so great because Ergo talks so slow. And and the heretic is like, yeah, and he's just trying to finish his words and just like, no, come on, just finish it. Just say it so I can go back to talking. I, I thought that that, was, that sequence was really fun to watch all of it. It's like, you have to wait for the surprise. What did you think of, of that, Rachel? I was, okay, I enjoyed it. I thought that parts of it were really good because we needed a slower yeah. moment. Other parts, I was a little annoyed at Ergo. I was like, come on. Let's just get it over with. Tell me, like, please. <laughs> and I think this could have just been like viewer impatience, yeah. but and like that we live in such a fast paced world, and I was expecting information like yesterday. But yeah. I was like, okay. I think right. they were <laughs> counting on Ergo wearing on people's patience. You yeah, know, just uh, just really upsetting people. Like, just talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite line of all that uh, uh, was that like, and now what you've been waiting for? We're going to give you the story of Thra, brought to you, brought to life. By the most sacred of arts, 
puppetry. Yeah, which is I like, loved that. It's like everybody looking in the camera and winking, but they didn't do that because that would have drove me crazy. That literally would have driven yeah. me crazy. I would be like, no, there's no camera there. There it, shouldn't be. But it was such a funny little moment. You could tell, like, in the writers' room, like, we kind of have to say this. This is, I, I don't know. I thought that was great. Uh, what did you think about sort of, we're going to tell you with puppets? That was my favorite part right. of the whole like sequence. Just because we by that point we finally were getting information and it wasn't dragging on with an opera. Yeah. <laughs> so and yeah, that at that point my interest was back and I was like, all right. And the interesting thing is that this is information even Augur doesn't have. So now they, you know, obviously Augur has an incredible amount of knowledge, but they have really important knowledge that she doesn't. And it's the fact that the Skeksis are, uh, I guess they said there, there were 18 of them and they came from another planet. But yes, they were combined and they, uh, they, they, they were, so they, they were- basically tricked Agra into letting them watch the crystal and their experiments on the crystal separated them. So they were the Erkskis. Yes, the Erkskis, yes. And then they separated into the two different beings um, from the corruption and from these experiments they were doing. Right, exactly. And- so. Go ahead. Oh, so, no, go ahead. When I looked up these beings before the split, right. they are like you can just tell like they're they're like glowing beings. They look like they are like really like, you know, of the highest good kind of thing. Yeah. And so um yeah, it's just very different from what we see now, but um they were apparently banished from where they come from. Yes, which is is a fascinating backstory that uh, you know, it's like that is something that we talked about. I think it was in our previous episode. We can always get the prequel to the prequel because yeah. it's like I kind of want I kind of want that story. Yeah. You know, I, I I but I think I think just the idea that they're combined is very interesting because then when we see the archer and the hunter they we finally have it revealed that they were at one point they were the Erkskis. yeah yeah they were when they were Erkskis, they were actually one being and so the archer's like you know do what you want but every time you hurt me you're gonna feel it yourself which i thought that was an interesting reveal yeah i didn't realize that you know it, it's one like dies. You, yeah that the other one's going to to die if the other one gets hurt the other one's going to feel it so Give me your thoughts about that revelation and just sort of, I don't know, some of the different different places that it took your mind as you were thinking about these characters. As soon as they started talking about it, to me it was like, okay, these, these beings were split. It's almost like that Star Trek episode with Kirk where he goes down and he splits into a good Kirk and a right, bad Kirk. Sure. That's what it made me think of. And so I'm thinking, You okay. missed that, Angelica. We talked about Star Trek <laughs> and you weren't here. Anyway, TOS. Um, so... Yeah, like if, to me, that's what it was: is that we have a good being and a bad being split from the one, and that I mean, obviously, the heretic is not like most of the skepsis, and uh, that is hard to say. Yeah, the skepsis, yes. <laughs> and um, obviously, he's not like most of them. But in general, I feel like it's they were split into a good piece of that of that being and a bad piece of that being. Yeah, and and I think that uh, the the Skeksis are clearly the bad side of the being, and that's why they're the ones who live in the castle and have the crystal, and and, and the uh, the ooh, what are they? What mystics. are the other? mystics? Yes, they kind of. I want to call them spirituals, and I'm like, that's a wrong word. The mystics are like, yeah, we gotta we gotta get out, get away from them, and the important thing that they learn is that 
the, uh, a Gelfling can unite the seven clans and defeat the Skeksis as long as he gets the the glaive, but the very specific, it's like the the double, uh, the dual glaive. Yeah. And that's where Rion comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Just, you, you, know, you can't be the hero unless you're the one who thinks, like, yeah, I can do that. The thing that nobody should be able to do. It's like, oh, I can totally do that. Cool, just, no problem. I'll grab that thing and I'll take, I'll take them out. And uh, I, I thought that uh, – so that was an a- interesting wrinkle. But of course, they're like, oh, yeah, but I mean we don't have it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you got to go get it. You got to go to the Caves of Grot, which I like that some of these locations that they have to go to are things that they just reference in passing when it's like, you know, as I, I don't remember where it was, but it's like as dirty as the Caves of Grot or as scary as the, this place. And then they end up having to go there. You know, I think that they do – a great job sort of building the world where it's like, hey, remember we referenced this in, in an earlier episode. So that is uh, – that's going to bring us forward for, for that storyline. But wrapped up in all this is the Skeksis who we haven't talked about nearly enough. Uh, we did reference the Chamberlain that you know he's <laughs> yeah. sort of left off on his own and he uh, finds that the – the uh, the Gelflings are not very receptive to their lord because these are Gelflings that know these are the wooden wooden stone Gelflings who know you know they they there was the the dream etching and everybody there kind of knows what they what they're up to so they don't respect him and they're they're throwing like berries and rocks and things at him which I think is funny that later on they say he smells like the berries so let's kind of go through. The Chamberlain, whose point of view takes us through a lot of these events that unfold in these two episodes. Uh, talk a little bit, Rachel, about basically the the Chamberlain's – the way he has to process everything that's going on in these two episodes. Well, it's interesting. Kind of like uh, Rianne, I feel like with, Cha- with Chamberlain, we we saw him. He was definitely a big part of these episodes. But I feel like at this point, he's just sort of reacting to how they're treating him and that he is like, you know, like he went back. He's the one that we kind of see what has happened in this mass like murder of Geflings. Which they did not show us. Yeah, which I'm actually glad. (laughs) No, that's yeah. That would have been heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it's not like some of them won and got away. It's like, no, we we got all of them. And and boy, that essence was delicious. And we didn't know if Tavra was still alive at that point. That was scary. (laughs) Yeah. Well, especially for you because of uh, Outlander. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, so for me, like just watching Chamberlain, I. Even in even when he's at his lowest point where everyone is taking him like as a joke, just the way that he tries to like, you know, get into the room is like he never stops. What I like about the Chamberlain is that he never for a second loses any of his self-confidence. He knows he can talk his way into any situation or out of a situation he doesn't want to be in. It's just he's going to need the time. He's going to need to figure out how to do it. And he's right away like, oh, the emperor is going to be so angry with the general. I'm going to have to go get my seat back. And he's like, no, actually, everybody's really happy right now. And I think that we're seeing – look, we're seeing the Skeksis being very successful in these two episodes. They're getting everything they want. They're quelling rebellions. And we'll kind of talk about their master plan in in a moment. But the – Chamberlain at least has a presence of mind like 
the, the, you're not going to be able to sustain this. You know, you're you're drinking all this essence. You know, there's only so many Gelflings in in all of Thra. You know, it's like there's going to be a point when you've you've had them all, and you you should be worried about that. You know, he's commented and, and others have commented that the castle's a mess, so they're not even cleaning up anymore. Yeah, because they, well, they ate all the guards. At least they so, kept the podlings. Yeah, well, yeah, because podlings don't taste good. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> so I I thought uh, that. It's it it was really helpful to see it from the Chamberlain's point of view because even though he ingratiates himself right in the middle of anything, he's kind of always an outsider because he's always like thinking of all the different angles and what he's trying, you know, what is best for the Chamberlain, obviously. And I thought getting his perspective on the fact that like, oh, so they're not worried about any of this was very interesting. But what we did get was the emperor revealed something to the general, which uh, I wasn't expecting to happen at this point. Uh, talk a little bit about that, Rachel. That was my, like, when we're talking about the Skeksis, that mm-hmm. was my favorite part, where it's this corrupt leader, and he's talking, and he and like he's like, oh, the darkening, I kept this crystal so that I could fight against it. And then I think it was the general it's with the him. general yeah. with him, yeah. The general was like, what? There's no darkening? And then, you know, at first was like, I lied. Yeah, it's just so matter of fact, like, yeah, I lied. There's a darkening. There's a darkening. Yeah. P.S., and, yeah. yeah. Hi. Yeah, and then we also see more evidence of the impact this is having on him. We've seen his body falling apart in previous episodes, and he even, he has to just explain, like, yeah, you know, there's a little bit of a price you pay, but yeah. Oh, immortality is worth it but yeah and he's bringing the the general into his world i wasn't quite sure what the what the end game was right there i actually thought that it's like is is he going to get his essence somehow or like what is he trying to do here you know and and i guess that would remain to be seen but we've also had reference now to the the shard of crystal that uh, that he took away that was that that is missing but i i don't th- think we actually see it he just sort of references it but and correct me if i'm wrong on that i think he i think we did see we it did in that see it. scene yeah. did he show it to the general he did yeah, yeah. I would, by the way i would not have done that that's probably why i didn't remember yeah. it just seems like but then we see sort of the the purple that is oozing and he's like yeah that's the power that's the darkening that's the purple and we've seen that purple you know in the ground when we've had we've seen animals eat like moss that has that sort of irradiated purple so we're seeing the darkening spread throughout all Thra, which of course factors into the Emperor's plan for the Ascension, which are the and that involves those those big the the big spiders and that's who that's who they are. They have another name that they call them. It's something that sounds like arachnid, but it was a different word. And uh, I thought I wrote it down, but uh, I did not successfully find it, so that's on me. But they basically make them a deal, and you can see that at some point. These creatures also tried to have a rebellion and an uprising against the Skeksis, and they were they they have been banished in their own way, you know. And it's like we're going to give you back your home if you help us, because it's like we need you to get all the Gelfling for us. And they're like, "What's in it for us? Do you want to go home?" They're like, "What? Yeah, absolutely." But of course, there's a reason. There's more to that. <laughs> and talk about. Well, you know, look, you can appreciate evil genius. You know, you can be like, it's brilliant, even though it, it's so such a devious, bad intention goal. But talk about the evil genius of the emperor. He knew that because of the darkening, they wouldn't be able to remain where they were. Yeah. So he made a deal that he knew was going to mutually, it was going to be beneficial to him as well. 
Yeah, and it's like you're not going to be able to live in your caves because that's like the next spot that the darkening is going to spread to. So I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to also get rid of all of you. So it's like you know everybody everybody wins. But the actual ascension. So this is is what you alluded to in the beginning because you are such a big Tavra fan yeah. that <laughs> when you saw what the ascension did to her, what was your th- what was your reaction? Ugh, I was very upset. I was like, I mean, see, here's the thing. Okay, not to like turn this into an Outlander, like that's all right. But like Claire on Outlander is very strong. Like she's a very strong-willed person. She's like, you know, she's kind of like Tavra. She's like a mix between Tavra and Brea. Okay. And so to me, I'm thinking, okay, like when they said we need a strong Gethling to be the person that we to be the being yeah. that we you know sacrifice. Um, not that they use the word sacrifice, but they said they needed a strong Gethling, yeah. and I'm like, yeah. It's going to be Tavra. She's, like she's the str- there. At least in that crowd, she's certainly the strongest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like, even if they didn't mean physically strong, I knew what they meant. Strong will. Strong will. Sure. I'm like, yeah. yeah, no, like, that's going to be her. And and, and so everybody at Stone and Wood is ready. They're like, great, this is the fight we're waiting for. We're going to take on the Skeksis. This is great. They're bringing the fight to us. And then it's like, oh, Princess Tavra, what's there? And she's been taken over by this ascendancy. And then the sort of very cool effect where like the little tiny like spiders all crawl out and everyone starts <laughs> we're not Tavra yeah right exactly <laughs> like, and then everybody's they all end up saying I am the ascendancy and they all start yeah. marching so they've it's basically what they promised they would be the ascendancy and the emperor laughing as a caravan heads to the castle is, is how the episode ends but there's a moment uh, there's not a lot of Augur in these two episodes. She has that very funny moment. You <laughs> yeah. dare try to control Augur? Augur can barely control Augur. So I got a good laugh out of that. That was hilarious. And can I just say, too, that sure. with Madra Farah, I was really upset. Like, obviously, Lena Headey plays yeah. the voice. I just as like a funny joke. I'm like, yeah, because like Celadon to me before she got that dark getup, yeah. she kind of looked a little bit like Daenerys. Oh, that's so funny. I'm like, oh, Cersei, Daenerys finally get their <laughs> showdown, and and you're like, nope, nope, did not happen. <laughs> and so then at the end, I'm like, okay, so finally Lena Headey's playing a good character on the good side, and she's been possessed. Oh. Well, that's where the story ends, and we are over time, but there's two interesting things I want to talk about for our special segment, and it's a, it's a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, and it does tie in to Agra. So you were reading something about, I guess, Jim Henson is who said this, because Agra is in the movie, The Dark the, Crystal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, originally the person who played Agra in the 82 version was Billy Whitelaw, a female, um, but when Henson was looking for people to play the role, Originally, what he requested for casting was uh, he wanted somebody who sounded like, and I'm quoting this, Zero Mustel's performance as a kind of insane bird trying to overcome Tourette's syndrome on Watership Down, end quotes. And so apparently the voice was originally played by Frank Oz, but then they changed it to Billy Whitelaw. Yeah, and uh, you could kind of see that quality to to the voice for sure. And I think that they do a great approximation with the voice of Augur for this. And then just one other little tidbit was something that I read that there, there being this Dark Crystal TV series was not the original approach towards doing a follow-up for the Dark Crystal. It was originally going to be a movie. But apparently the idea, uh, Rachel, and I know you have the story, actually came from a different Henson property that a lot of us probably know very, very well. 
Yeah. Um, so Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. And well, just regular Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth uh, well, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is the uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie. So Labyrinth is the 1986 Labyrinth, movie. No, no. It's it's confusing for sure. This is just regular old Labyrinth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, that article, how they they apparently pitched Henson. Um, they pitched Lisa Henson hoping right. for Labyrinth 2. And they were given um, the opportunity to do the prequels for The Dark Crystal. Right. And so, like, this idea starts. And when you start to, and the reason why I like this story is you start to think about a lot of the similarities in the worlds and some of the creatures. So, you could see how, you know, the sort of big picture ideas for this story, you're like, oh, that could tie into the world of Labyrinth. And then it got me excited because I'm like, could they be in the same universe? Different planets? You know, the the Skeksis, it's already established that they come from a different planet. So we're going to assume there's only two planets. So I don't know. I, I would like to see a whole bunch more of, you know, we could get some more Dark Crystal stuff, we can get some more Labyrinth stuff. But uh, I guess we'll have to see. Anyway, I just wanted to share a little of that with the audience. Uh, we are way past our time. And unfortunately, as we re- referenced at the beginning of the show, Rachel, this is the end of your time with us here on yes. The Dark Crystal. It has been a blast. Yeah, and I know you're going to continue watching, so maybe you can uh, join in the chat in our uh, subsequent episodes, and you can interact with our audience. And uh, for most of these episodes that we've done, they were posted the same day that the series posted on Netflix, which was Friday, August 30th. Now, our next two episodes are going to be our final episodes, and Angelica and I will be here for that. So on Tuesday at 1 p.m., I almost gave it the wrong time, 1 p.m. Pacific, uh, that's 4 Eastern, we are going to do episodes 8 and 9. Then Rachel will not be here, but Angelica and I <laughs> will watch episode 10. And then at 3 o'clock, we will do a wrap-up show of just episode 10. But, of course, we'll look at the series as a whole. So that's all this Tuesday. Those shows will be live. So if you've been binging over the weekend and catching up with our shows, you'll be able to be in the live chat with us and talk to us about the show then. So that's Tuesday. We've got a whole weekend between now and then where I have to wait and not watch any more of the show. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, then rest you're gonna finish i'm it, probably gonna binge right well, now this. yeah you don't have to save it for anything but uh rachel people want to keep in touch with you where can they find you two places so i am on twitter at rach goodman or you can find me on my writing pen name at rachel radner on pretty much every platform or on instagram at rachel radner author and you can find me on twitter and instagram at christian dmz but most importantly you can find me next tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, when we will be doing episodes 8 and 9 of Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Thanks so much, everyone, and uh, we will see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.